So today we have Delaney Jacobson on this episode of Feminist in Progress. Delaney, welcome. Happy to be here, Leah. Yes. And so Delaney, I know you because you're my smitty, which is a law school term. Basically, I would assume it means mentor. But yeah, when we got drinks the other day, I left that meeting with you feeling so empowered and ready to go and ready to take on the world. And that was, I think, two weeks before I had my internship interviews. And I left that meeting feeling like, wow, this is what I should be feeling like after I talk to a Smitty. And I don't think that comes up a lot in law school. I think a lot of times I leave classes feeling like I'm behind the eight ball or even with fellow students who are the same age as me, I often feel the sense of dread and like I'm doing something wrong. But I wanted to start off the podcast by saying that I think that you bring a lot of positivity and energy to a place that has a lot of competition and feelings of like I'm not good enough and less than and you bring an energy of people feeling capable and like they can go conquer the world so I wanted to first ask how did you start at law school and did you have those same feelings that I mentioned of oh gosh, what am I doing here? (laughs) Why am I with these people? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think after I came from undergrad, um, I know you as well came from a liberal arts background and I came, you know, with a pretty high GPA coming in and I remember getting my first midterm grade back, um, which I think is a story that inspired me to become a Smitty teaching fellow is I went to um, my two Smitty fellows and great individuals that they had never really struggled in school before, even in law school. And they're very type A organized people, which I think I kind of was an undergrad. So I thought I would see myself in them. And when I came with definitely the lowest score on a midterm ever, I was really upset. And I came to them and I was like, what do I do? And they were like, I've never, this has never happened before. And so I really came into my process of becoming a Smitty when I interviewed they're like why do you want why do you want this job and I said I want to be the type B Smitty fellow to contradict the you know the type A highly competitive which you know we have this myth in like even legally blonde of like that's the way the law school atmosphere works but I think that came in with just wanting to be you know the average law student that someone could look up to and in law school you ebb and flow as a person so much that it really varies. And so everyone kind of needs someone to go to. And I kind of want to have an open door policy, which I'm happy it's working well. Um, it is. But, <laughs> that's good. But yeah, I definitely came in being uh, you know more relaxed. I have like the average GPA of my entire class. So, you know, I'm very much an average law student and I've really <laughs> been, I've been like really happy with that. And I think it's like a lot of neutrality has surrounded me as like a law student. It's okay to just like not focus 100% on grades and focus more on like your advocacy and your passions and the best way for you to become a future attorney because even professors will say you don't learn everything in the classroom you definitely need real world experience before you know you get out there and you know take the bar exam and do all that stuff yeah for sure i think we've talked about your passions but into how those passions were conceived and if there's a backstory to them Yeah, so I 
I'm originally from a really small town in Nevada. I think it's like one of the first towns ever established actually in the state, but growing up in a small town as a queer individual, there was zero representation. And there was a lot of, I guess, an adverse reaction to coming out at my high school. So I didn't come out until I was in college, but I knew the same year I graduated high school was the same year Obergefell uh, was passed, which is the gay marriage case in the United States. And I was really excited to see the policy progression. And so I originally went to law school to, I guess, pursue more of like a civil rights um, advocacy route uh, for my own personal strengths, um, but also wanted to move up to the Pacific Northwest. I really was excited to just get out of a small town. Um, I'm a really argumentative person, um, if you get to know me. So I, I like to argue, um, which is perfect for law school. Uh, but I remember uh, one thing I was really inspired by is in a government class my senior year, we did a mock gay marriage argument in our gov class. And I didn't do enough research because in high school, you know, you don't really prep for gov too much. And I remember someone saying like, well, how do you know that? You don't know enough information. Like, what, what did you study to, you know, get, get to that fact or get to that analysis? And I was like, I'm going to go get a JD so I can come back and answer this question better and prove to you that I, I did the three years of school and I, you know, gained the knowledge to answer homophobic questions from senior classmates. <laughs> and I currently am on the LGBTQ Bar National Student Law Congress, which is, I think, eight or 10 individuals from around the United States. So I work in advocacy there. And then I also have worked a lot in our schools clinic. I helped start the LinkedIn LGBTQ law clinic at Gonzaga Law, as well as um, worked in a few firms such as Q Law Foundation and really focus on giving back to low-income communities. Going into the legal field, it's really scary for people to reach out to attorneys. So I definitely want to be the more approachable attorney that anyone feels that they can afford to talk to and also just be approachable in general. I wanted to ask you because you've done so much advocacy work uh, with the LGBTQ plus community, yet you're going to a Catholic institution. And did you have any qualms about that when you were starting? Or did you have any hesitancies about being part of the LGBTQ plus community as an advocate, but also facing the repercussions of Catholicism? Yeah, I think, so I grew up in a non-denominational church, um, but I, from my understanding, I know um, from Gonzaga's perspective, they very much welcomed the clinic and they did get some flack from the Catholic church back about it, but the school itself was initially and still is very supportive of the drop of the clinic and specifically issues like conversion therapy within the churches is a big issue, but they actually you know support conversion therapy bans. And we've talked about specific issues I grew up in a church, so I think I come from a, a perspective of inclusion and being that representation and voice, which I wasn't originally that person. I very much wanted to stay away from religion and the aspects that it brought because of phobia and transphobia that surrounds certain communities. But I currently also work with a nonprofit in Spokane called Wonderfully Made and meeting with their founder there, who she's amazing. And, you know, her being a religious mom with, you know, a gay son, I think it really opened my eyes to an intersectionality that I didn't know existed and I didn't know there was a space to be filled. So I'm really happy to be a queer person at Gonzaga Law. And I think over two classes that I've seen come through, there's been even more and more representation 
you know, seen within even club quotas and other individuals that are seeking an affirming community within the school. So you start law school, you are excited, nervous. What were your initial feelings in your first semester? People will always compare law school. It feels a lot like high school when you first walk in. There's the initial clicks and you don't know where you, you know, where you can sit, who you can sit next to. Um, so there was a lot of like generalized anxiety surrounding uh, friend group formation. I, I think there was one individual in my entire class that's from my undergrad um, and I didn't know them prior to coming to law school. Um, so it was definitely a change. Um, but yeah, a lot of generalized anxiety. I had to learn that school doesn't have to be your focus if you don't want it to be. You can play out even on the lower end of a GPA scale and still be a successful attorney um, at the end of the day and a successful law student. Gonzaga really focuses, I think, on allowing practice and certain passions to take place. There's a lot of very different clubs on campus. So I think that that can definitely attest to the diversity of opportunities. Um, But my first year of law school, I was very nervous and I wanted to be an older law student that I wish I would have had as a first year law student, which is someone to talk to about anything and everything. I think law school initially is really traumatizing. It's like being thrown into a pool and seeing if you swim, Um, no one really hands you a life vest. I personally think that process needs to change um, within our entire legal education system because it does very much benefit, you know, white, rich, cis people that come into this structured environment that they're very much used to. Whereas there's a lot of students, students of color, first generation law students and immigrants who come in who have to work while they're in law school. They have to take a gap year so they can even afford, you know, law school applications. So I was really privileged in coming from right from my undergraduate program, but I definitely want to change the legal education system in that way. Mm. Your, your sentiment about it being very similar to high school, I found relatable because you're paying for a lot of things <laughs> that you wouldn't think about when you're in uh, high school, like SAT prep, tutors, AP tests college applications and law school is very similar because there are literally tables on the first floor of every class for Barbary and Lexus and it can be very overwhelming I walk in and I'm reminded that oh I have to take the bar in two and a half years three years and I have to pay for that Uh, it's expensive I think it's it's a really big way that historically white men white rich rich men have you know gatekeeped becoming a lawyer in this country and there's a reason I think historically why the bar exam costs 585 dollars to apply for and that's just the application and there have been foundations that have you know set aside scholarships um, but at the end of the day there's not enough scholarships for people that actually you know need the money and it's really hard I think to come and like ask for a scholarship because you always think someone else has it worse off than you and to like allocate certain funds and like recognize that like it's okay to take financial aid if you apply for it um, Mm -hmm. was really eye-opening for me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also even textbooks, your first year of law school, um, they are $250 a book if you buy them now for some books, most books. And you're taking 15 credits. Yep. And you're taking five classes. So it's over a thousand dollars for just a semester of books. Yeah. And there's definitely a lack of financial transparency of, you know, when tuition goes up, 
when you know certain budget things are made, students aren't aware. And so you mentioned your mom. Did she help cultivate your understanding of feminism? And are there any other people who have helped define what you think of as feminism today? Yeah, I think my mom is a great starting point. She, I have a younger sister. Um, so it was just the two of us as daughters growing up. My dad is very much a girl dad, which is great as well. But yeah, I think my mom and also um, both my grandmothers are, have been through a lot in their lives. And I think I was raised with the like respect of like a female being a leader in a household. Um, there was no like male head of the household, even like historically for even my Midwestern grandparents. Uh, my grandmother definitely run the house. So I think that my mom definitely agreed of like being who you are is really important. And I think that it came from a really strong place of love for my sister and I of never wanting us to feel like unsafe because, you know, we were women and my mom has fought through a lot. But I remember the first time I ever saw my mom, like, I guess, fight or like experience anything differently as a woman was when I was in Girl Scouts which I don't know if you and Girl Scouts, but we take like fun little trips to the aquarium. And my mom got jumped in the parking lot, taking another girl to a hotel room because she had the flu, fought off the guy by like a backpack. And I was like, not that something traumatic has to happen to you to be a powerful woman, but I was like, that's like my mom. She is badass and she will fight tooth and nail to get back to her children. And she, you know, raised her younger siblings and, you know, she really just steps up. And I think, other females where like intersectionality comes in because growing up in the white suburbs of Nevada <laughs> it's very whitewashed feminism and I think that working in certain legal foundations I really found my spark with Denise Dixon who was an attorney in Seattle um, I came to her very much broken <laughs> from a past legal experience and she really helps me combine my passions of civil rights and advocacy and specifically LGBTQ law I did not know was a thing until I interned for her and she working with her and other other individuals um, our community organizer they are amazing and seeing someone who fought so hard for their community um, as a queer person of color was really inspiring and just made me want to you know help any LGBTQ community members that needed it and yeah I think I think those two females in my life have really like shaped me as the person I am today of what I believe and, you know, what I think feminism as a movement needs to change to be, be as, and also just, you know, get together the movement to fight for all people instead of, you know, select individuals, um, which is really like whitewashed in history. I mean, Stonewall was started by non-binary and trans drag black drag queens um which you know a lot of and then when the first pride parade came around they weren't even allowed to walk with them because it was too controversial Hmm. and it's just so interesting how much of our history in movements in this country have been whitewashed and made you know cisgender and certain individuals are left out because it's too out of the box is you know what people like to say and Um, it just puts it into a very interesting perspective growing up in 
certain suburbs where we're taught a certain history and then you open the book and you're like that's actually not what happened um yeah. someone would have told me that Going off of that, you have spent the past three years in law school learning more, learning how to respond to that senior who asked you that homophobic question and gov. And now where do you see yourself going with your career, with your passions and your advocacy? I know it's a very daunting question. <laughs> I know. I feel like every uh, third year law student is being asked that right now. Yeah. I'm still finalizing interviews this semester, um, which I'm super grateful for any opportunity um, of who I get to work with in the future. I see myself more in, you know, certain areas of law is like family, education, and employment. But I really, I think the main thing for me take away from law school is working in a safe environment where I'm not the only diverse person. I think I realize that strongly impacts me as a law student of looking around the room and seeing that there is not a you know, anything when it comes to diversity, there's not a person of color, there's like no Latina, Latino, there's no, you know, LGBTQ person in the room. And I think putting a lot of weight on that is like helping me select of where I want to go and where I want to graduate to and where I want to work for, which is really exciting. Um, And I think that a lot of the older generation have this like ideology of sticking with the grit and like it's almost taken as like a personal offense if you want to work in a supportive work environment of, oh no, you have to work as hard as you possibly can until you break and then more, and then you're going to be successful. And that's what hard work is. A successful lawyer to me is someone who is happy doing their job. I think you should love the work that you put in and you should love the people that you work with. And yeah, I think work environment for me is just number one for graduating, which is insane because I don't think my 1L self would have even considered that as a factor. It would have been paying off my student loans or, you know, I I would love to work for an organization like the ACLU or other nonprofits, um, because I think they do amazing advocacy work. And I've worked on a few amicus briefs with organizations in Washington and loved it. But I am definitely um, a people person and I love taking on clients. So I think that, you know, we're doing that for a few years. We'll get me great experience and also bring me a lot of joy and happiness, which I think is really important. I think as every class goes through of Gonzaga, I am so excited to see the change that everyone is bringing. My class changed the Thomas More Scholarship to the Carl Maskey Scholarship in hoping for more diverse students. And we've seen that progress throughout the past few years. And so I'm really excited for um, diverse voices to be heard on Gonzaga Law's campus. And I definitely think that this podcast will amplify that. Yay, me too, hopefully. Yes, I hope so. I, I believe it well. I think if you put positive thoughts out there, I think that can definitely help you get to your goals.